Hi, everybody. <laughs> and I, like uh, virtually everybody in this room, have a very grateful member of Al-Anon. My hometown is uh, Toronto, Ontario. Please don't hold that against me. And uh, my home group is the St. Clair Al-Anon Family Group. We meet every Tuesday night in Toronto. Really happy to be here. The second time I've been in Saskatoon, and it's uh, really this is a nice event. Very intimate, very cozy, good attendance, nice energy. I'm uh, I'm really happy to have an opportunity to just share with you some of my experiences on sponsorship, and that's exactly what I will share with you. They aren't ideas on sponsorship. They're not theories on sponsorship. They're experiences that I've had and have to this very day on being sponsored and on being a sponsor. The guide that you, you have in front of you, uh, I refer to it as a sponsorship contract. The workshop I was at last night, uh, given by Randall, he asked, there was a little point he made in his PowerPoint asking if people have a recovery contract, and I put up my hand and I say, I do have a recovery contract. And this was the beginning of that. This was the beginning of a commitment. This was not the beginning of a commitment to a person, per se. This is the beginning of a commitment to my recovery. And it's a way of doing it that was totally foreign to what I had done previously. What I had done previously was very loose, very unstructured, and it didn't work. So after being in Al-Anon and Alateen, I started in the program in 1968 when I was 11 years old. They kicked me out of Alateen when I was 21. I went to Al-Anon for another six years. I left, did a lot more qualifying, and came back in April of 1987. And from that point to the time that I met my current sponsor, I kind of used people for sponsorship. I, I went through that, that, that crazy notion in my head that I was sponsoring myself, or the group is my sponsor. And uh, I was going to meetings, and I was doing all the things except having a committed, one-on-one, -on -one, intimate relationship with someone who had done these 12 steps. And I wanted to step in front of a bus after six years of being here. It wasn't working. I was doing everything that I was told to do except one thing. I had not opened myself up enough to say to another human being, will you be my sponsor? I just was unable, until I reached that certain point, to do that. So the kind of sponsorship I'm going to present to you I'm not promoting it, I'm not encouraging it, I'm not telling you that it is the way, but it is a way, but it is definitely the way that I do it. It's the way that I do it with the person who sponsors me, and it's the way that I do it with the men that I sponsor. It's structured, and that's exactly what we call it. We call it structured sponsorship. It has accountability to it. It has intimacy, it has regular connection, it has honesty, and there's not no balking at things. We kind of take assignments, we do it. We take action, solid, concrete, specific, observable action. It took me a long time to get sick enough to be willing to do that. And I wasn't sick enough when I first came in. When I first came in, I was pretty damn arrogant, actually. I knew all the words, I'd been around for a long time, 
And we can hang around here not for very long. And if you have even a modicum of intelligence, it's really easy to pick up on the verbiage. It's really easy to pick up on the words that we hang on our, on our walls and the steps that we read and start to spout that off and think that one is recovering. And I did that. I was a master at that, of spouting it off. But it wasn't working because I wasn't opening up to someone who had worked these 12 steps and who could show me how that was done. It's not for everybody. That's for sure. I've had people ask me, I had one guy at my meeting one time say, I will do absolutely anything to have you sponsor me. So I said, meet me here, this is before my meeting, I said, meet me here next week at 7 o'clock and I'll show you what it is that I do. So I brought this guide with me. I showed him. We talked about it for an hour. He said, hey, I'll give you a call. I never saw him again. Had another guy that said, yeah, okay, we can do that. Called me once. Never saw him again. I had a woman sit in my front room after reading what's on your table, and she said, this is communism. This is not sponsorship. It's like the Gestapo. And I said to her, clearly this is not for you. <laughs> I'm not forcing this on anybody. I'm not making judgments about how anybody else is sponsored. You can make all your judgments about me that you want. Just don't tell me that. Just listen and go outside and then talk all about it. Okay? Buy the tape and say, he's an asshole. That's okay. Do that. Do whatever you got to say. But what I do ask you to do is keep an open mind. Because I have run into people in my travels in Al-Anon whose stories have broken my heart. I was in South Dakota back in spring, and I shared my story. And a woman came up to me and she said, I have been in Al-Anon for 36 years. And I have never done the 12 steps. She said, I have never asked anybody to be my sponsor. And I, I was in tears talking to her about that. I have met so many people in Al-Anon, and I was one of them, who used people as a sponsor without ever saying to them, will you be my sponsor? And how dishonest is that? To use somebody the way I used people before I came here. Because just because I'm coming to the fellowship, just because I'm sitting in meetings, doesn't mean I'm getting better. It means that I have to take other actions. I don't come to a program. I don't belong to a program. I belong to a fellowship. And the fellowship is us. And I have to have this fellowship. I need this fellowship desperately. And it's in the fellowship that I hear people share their experiences of working a program. And the program is simple, and it's clear, and it's 12 things. And it's called the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It even says that in our Al-Anon tradition, that we practice the 12 Steps of AA ourselves. We don't practice the 12 Steps of Al-Anon because we don't have any. We don't practice the 12 Steps of Al-Anon adult children because we don't have any. We don't practice the 12 Steps of Alateen. We are members of the Al-Anon family groups who practice the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous ourselves because we ourselves are sick, apart and separate from anything that's going on with any alcoholic alive or dead in our life or not in our life. And that's who I am. 
I'll try not to duplicate my talk tonight, right now. I'm just going to use some ideas about sponsorship that float around all the time, is that men sponsor men, and women sponsor women. It's not a bad idea, and it's a pretty good guideline, but I will tell you clearly that my sponsor is a woman, and I only sponsor men. Interesting. I've had many women ask me to sponsor them, and I say, no, I don't sponsor women. And they say, how come? And I say, because you're gorgeous and I'm single. <laughs> that is not a good mix. Years ago, I had the arrogance to sponsor somebody before I even had a sponsor. Six weeks later, we woke up together. She said, I guess you can't be my sponsor anymore. I said, how come? But <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> I get to sleep with you and tell you what to do. I love this. That's how sick I have been. And can be without some guidance. If you're considering asking somebody to be your sponsor, know the answer to this question before you ask them. Do they have a sponsor? That's really important. Really important. There's a guy who was going to ask to be my sponsor one time, and I called him up, man. And he, uh, he said, gosh, Rick, he said, it's great to hear from you. And I was calling to make, make a sponsorship request. He said, yeah, I haven't been going to meetings very long, and you know, I haven't seen my sponsor for ages. <laughs> well, gee, it's nice talking to you. Click. And when you ask somebody to be your sponsor, it's clear and it's direct. Will you be my sponsor? I asked my sponsor in a letter. My sponsor lives 1,800 kilometers away from me. And I didn't say, will you be my sponsor? This is what I said. I said, I am sick to death of doing this thing by myself. I will do absolutely anything you ask me to do if you will be my sponsor. I love the recovery you have shown to me. And I want that. Will you show me the path you walked? To get there. I did not ask her to be my counselor. I didn't ask her to be my therapist. And I didn't ask her to be my friend. I asked her to be my sponsor. I said, I want to know how you got where you are. And she said, I will be glad to show you that. Welcome to the family. The Al-Anon family groups. And that's who we are. We are the family groups. The Al-Anon family groups. And we are a family. And we can help one another. I loved your analogy about the diamonds, but us rubbing up against one another. It's beautiful. It's way, way better than the onion. I really, really like it. Uh, I will flip back and forth between being sponsored and being a sponsor as I go through this stuff. I asked my sponsor by that letter. She'd be my sponsor. She sent me a package in the mail. I thought, well, it's either a really long forget it, pal, you're a goof, or... You're in. And it was a lovely little letter, and this is what it said. It said, I got your request for sponsorship. I pray a lot about that. And then she said this beautiful thing. She said, I spoke to my husband about it. Because I was about to enter into an intimate relationship with a man, and I wanted to talk to my husband first. And his answer was simple to her. He said, is it a reasonable Al-Anon request? He's not asking you to go to bed with him. And she said, it is a reasonable Al-Anon request. And she sent me that letter in that package saying, let's go. 
last nice thing she said to me for like a year. She said, I don't care. She was vicious with me. Because you see, I had been dinking around in here for a long, long time. And it was tired. It was so tired of just hanging out, thinking that I was getting better, and going home and wanting to stick a knife in my own belly. That's where I was, doing this thing by myself. So she gave me these pages, and as I read them, I thought, finally, finally, there's a path that I'm being shown that I can follow, and someone is willing to show me. I would go to conferences and hear people talk about going to a meeting, and someone kind of grab them and, and show them to do this and bring them to do that. And I wanted that so desperately, but I was never able to let it in until I finally wrote that letter. So I'd like to go through some of this stuff with you and tell you what some of my experiences are with it. I'd like to thank Richard for retyping it into a format that was much better than the format I sent it to him in. Um, so what I'm willing to do is a sponsor. I'm willing to guide the one being sponsored through the 12 steps. Not do therapy, not do counseling, not do friendship. But guide you through the 12 steps. I'll give my time for questions, listening to problems, giving suggestions, spiritual suggestions, program tools and principles to help find personal solutions. And that's the path. Hey, you're there and I'm here. You say to me, how did you get there? And I say, I did this, and then I did this, and I did this. And that's the only thing that I can share with you that has any kind of integrity and any kind of authenticity. Because if I'm sharing with you anything else, it's just BS. Because I'm not here to be, I'm not a professional. I have a profession, but this is not it. But what I do have is experience. And that's the very foundation of who we are. Is that I share with you my experience, not my thinking. I share with you my experience. I walk there, I walk there, and I walk there. And that's all I know to tell you. I don't know another thing to tell you. And that's what my sponsor said to me. I will guide you through the 12 steps. And all I can share with anybody is this is how I did the 12 steps. And these are some of my experiences doing that. And I am really excited to be with you as you find your experiences going through those 12 steps. Because that is the single most exciting thing that happens to me in my recovery. Is being with someone else and watching those lights come on. Seeing somebody else change. Seeing things happen, seeing relationships improve that were shot. I got home a few weeks ago and a guy that I sponsored phoned me and he said his estranged daughter, hadn't spoken to him for six or seven years, called him on a Monday morning and said, Dad, from Vancouver, he lives in Toronto. And she said, Dad, I'm graduating tomorrow. He called me and he said, Rick, I can't believe this. He said, I'm going to Vancouver tomorrow. My daughter's graduating. She opened up and he was available and he flew out there. We had just finished doing his step nine. And like I was electrified for him. And he got back and he called and told, shared this with me. And I thought, what a gift this is for us. That when we work with people, we get to be a part of their life. The excitement is the recovery. Not what happened before we got here. We like to listen to those stories. But it really is boring. What's really exciting is how we change. And that change happens with a guide. I will be committed to the pigeon's recovery. Sponsee, if you get hung on the word pigeon, get a sponsor and talk about that. 
It doesn't bother me. <laughs> and is that true? We get hung in little things and it prevents us from moving on. This is kind of from my sponsor lives in the south of the United States. And that's just what they use. Big deal. You know, it's just a term. Um, willing to do whatever necessary to help the person to develop a program for living through the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. Because you see, this is a discipline. And that's a word we don't hear much in our fellowships. But this is a discipline. I need to learn to live a new way. Because my old way didn't work. I didn't come to Al-Anon because my life was just going along swimmingly. I didn't wake up one day and say, man, I got all the money I want. My relationship is fantastic. I'm loving where I'm living. Great job. Fantastic holidays. I think I'll go to Al-Anon. <laughs> I didn't say that. I stand in front of a mirror and say, like, I want to jump in the lake. I want to end this all. That's how I got to Al-Anon. It's not going good. This is not the first stop. This is the last one. I come here when all other plans have extinguished themselves and have proven that they do not work. That's what it was for me. It may not be that for you. I have met people here who like coming because it's a great little fellowship. Come have a little chat, have a coffee, talk about him. Great! Come on in. I don't want that. But if you want that, come on in. You're welcome. I think we choose the strata that we want to go to. And over time, we will find and we will be led there. I don't make any judgments, but I because I was all of that. Come to the meetings, hang out, go out for a coffee, meet a woman, don't come back for a while, you know, lose her, come back again. You know, I, I did all that stuff. Really, most most of what I did in the program, don't do, don't do it, because I was just a goofball in what I did here. I will give love, understanding, encouragement, assignments, as well as constructive criticism. Now, an assignment means someone tells you what to do. It talks about that in the Rodet book. But giving, we, don't give, we don't tell people what to do, but we do tell them to work the steps. We tell them to get a sponsor. We tell them to go to meetings. We give spiritual assignments. Here's some of the assignments my sponsor gave me when I first met her. I had an abnormal fear about Revenue Canada. I still do. The oldest time sponsee of mine, somebody that you know, Greg M., married somebody who works for Revenue Canada. I went to their wedding. It got married about a year and a half ago. The room was filled with Revenue Canada people. Ah! <laughs> I hate them because they want me. Right? They can't. So I had this like unbelievable fear from, about Revenue Canada, and as a result, they didn't file my income tax returns. Ah, they won't come and get me. But after you don't file for two and three and four years, you start to think, they might start to come and get me. And you can't get rid of that fear. No matter how much you try to rationalize it away, you can't get rid of that fear. And so I got a notice in the mail from Revenue Canada. Request a file. <gasps> like I was apoplectic. I could hardly breathe. But I didn't respond. Then I'm sitting at home one day, and I was the GR of my group. What a good GR I was. And I got this, a person from my group called me who, I didn't know worked for Revenue Canada. <laughs> and she worked from home, and she called, and on my call display it says, Revenue Canada! And <laughs> <laughs> my heart stopped. And so I started telling my sponsor about this. She went, oh, really? And whenever she says that, I know I'm in for something. So she gave me a timeline. 
She said, you have three months to get those taxes done. And you know what? There was amazing relief in that. Because I was so willing to do. Because I'd said to her, I'll do whatever you I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Like my life has to change. It has to change. And so I, I, I got an accountant from some a guy I know and I phoned him up and I was like it's like I was calling the counselor, I, I need an accountant. <laughs> she said, Come on in. I was like going to a therapy session. And I sat in front of her like I was shaking. And he gave me a list of things to do. Now, there's a Freedom Revenue Canada, but I also keep meticulous records about everything. And so I went home and I gathered up all of this information that, that was requested. I brought it into him, dumped it on his desk, we went through it, and then I went down to see my sponsor. And I said, I gave it in. She said, congratulations. And the fear started to go away. I didn't think myself out of that fear. I acted myself out of the fear. I got back home and there was a message from my accountant. Your returns are ready. Ah, how do you get afraid of that? What do I owe them? What is it like four years later when you owe all that money? Oh, my God. So I said, well, what's the deal? He said, I won't tell you on the phone. You come on in. <laughs> so I go into the office and he said, this is what the first word my accountant said to me was, they're going to be sorry they asked you to file. I got back on two years of files, $10,000. Return! Return! So I called my sponsor and said, Thank you! <laughs> I said, The assignment is complete. I said, I got that 10 grand. She said, I want 10%. <laughs> Sorry! I'm spending it all these phone calls. That's an assignment. And that was a good assignment. I have this other fear of institutions. I have a, I live in downtown Toronto. I have this thin, tall house. The upper two floors, I have a three-story house. The upper two floors are an apartment. So I rented it out. That was one of the reasons I was afraid to file. I wasn't claiming the rent. And so then I'm afraid, well, they're going to come in and shut me down because it's illegal. So she said, phone the city and find out what a legal apartment is. Ah! But I made the call. I would never, ever have done that on my own. But I made the call and I said, what's the code, the fire code for having an apartment in your upstairs of the house? And I got this simple answer. As long as they can get out of a window and stand someplace for a minimum of 10 minutes, you're legal. And every window in that upstairs apartment has a ceiling or some kind of roof outside of it. And the fear left. And there's some of the assignments that I've had. My mother and father were separated, and I was always in the middle of the two of them. I teach music. I'm a high school band director. Every year I do concerts with my students, two at, like two at Christmas and two in springtime. My mom would always call and say, which concert is your dad going to? And then she would go to the other one. And so I'd say, I don't know, I'd hang up, I'd phone my dad, hey dad, which night are you coming? Okay, you're coming the second night, mom, dad's coming the second night, okay, I'm coming the first, good. Said to my sponsor, I said, I'm going back and forth, assignment. She said, you will not answer that question. You will get out of the middle. Mom phones and said, what concert's your dad going to? I don't know, and I'm not going to ask. Dad calls and said, what nights are your concerts? I give him the nights. He just said, I'm coming on this, this night. It was the night my mother was coming. I kept my mouth shut. 
I'm in the hallway, my colleague's conducting one of the groups. Out of the auditorium comes my mother, saying to me, you didn't tell me your father was coming. I said, you're right, and I will never tell you that again. It's up to you to work out that with him. Both of you are my parents, and I love you both. And I'm thrilled that you both want to come out and continue to support me in what I do. But I'm not getting in the middle of what's going on with you two. Called my sponsor. Thank you for that assignment. There's some of the ones that I've done. And I would never have done any of those without a guide. Without a guide. The next one, I will encourage the pigeon to learn about and accept that alcoholism is a family disease that he didn't cause, can't control, and you can't, control, can't um, cure it. And that's really key. That I have been affected by alcoholism. I have not been affected by an alcoholic. My father is not the problem. I've been affected by a disease, and that disease is called alcoholism. He had it. He doesn't choose to have that. It was just there. And when disease is present in a home, it infects us all. So the two parts of this section are, I will encourage the people that I sponsor to realize that this is a family disease, that I can't do anything about it for the person who has alcoholism. And the second part of that is the sure understanding that I have been affected by and inflicted with a disease called alcoholism, the family disease. And this is something that I need to deal with apart and separate from the alcoholic. It's something I have. Ick. But that's true. I got it. And no alcoholic gave it to me. A disease did it. And that has freed me up from the blame. Tremendously freed me up from the blame. And that's a hard one for us. I will encourage regular attendance at as many meetings of Alan as possible in each week, and I certainly do that. Um, get to as many as you can, especially in the beginning. Immerse in it. Because I certainly immersed myself in my sickness 24 hours a day. Middle of the night, middle of the afternoon, any day of the week, any time of the day or night, I would immerse myself in my thinking. And what I think is right. And my thinking destroyed all the relationships I have. I chose three alcoholics chose them. They didn't choose me. I went looking for them. I need to do things. I need to immerse myself in this. I will carry the message of recovery. I won't carry the person being sponsored. I'm not going to do anything for anybody that they can do for themselves. I don't do casual sponsorship. I present structured sponsorship, and that's exactly what it is. It's not kind of like, hey, phone me whenever you want. You want a sponsor like that, I'm not the guy to sponsor you. Because I'm not available all the time. But I will establish a time for you and I to talk. And we'll talk about that later in this guide. And the structure is, you will, there's, there's very clear parameters on actions to be taken. Sign up for this. This is the way I do it. If you don't like this, that's okay. Look forward to talking at meetings. Look forward to chatting with you here and there. This may not be the way to do it. But if you're hungry for your recovery, and you've been hanging around for a while, and it just doesn't seem to be working, May I boldly suggest you open your mind to a different way of being sponsored. I use the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. This is the way my sponsor told me to do this. She gave me a guide that she wrote. 
She didn't write this to be published. She didn't write it as conference-approved literature. A sponsor is a very organized person. She's very literal. And if action means action, then there's things you need to do. So this is what she said. You will use this 12-step guide to do the steps with. So what she wants me to do is she gave me a, a listing of all of the books at Al-Anon and included the big book of AA and the uh, 12 traditions, the AA 12 and And she said, I want you to read everything in each of our books and in each of those AA books about step one, for example. And then she said, there's a dozen questions and I want you to answer them in longhand. Not yes or no. Answer the questions and share the answers with me. And I said, well, how am I going to share the answers with you when I live in Toronto and you live in the southern United States? She said, well, you could put it on an audio tape. I thought, well, that's okay. But then my head went this way. This was a pretty new thing for me. I said, I've been thinking around with this for a long time. And I'm willing to go to any length that I have to go. So I said to her, how about if I sit in front of a video camera and record the answers to those questions and send you a videotape? Because I don't want to hide from you at all. I said, I want you to see me. I want you to see the way I look. You see the expression on my face. They're talking to somebody who had a vicious problem with his own image. I'll talk more about that tonight. And I found myself that I answered these 12 questions. I set a video camera up in my office. I sat in front. I turned it on and I said, hi. <laughs> and I answered the questions. I read the answers to my questions about step one. And then I watched it. And I saw me in a way that I had never seen me. And I sent it to her. And she watched it, and she said, hey, you look pretty good on TV. I said, yeah, not bad, eh? <laughs> and then she gave me some responses to the, to the questions, and then said this incredible thing to me. Congratulations, Rick. You've done step one to the best of your ability today. And listen to this. Move on. Oh, now that's music. That's music. Move on. And that's what I've done. I did... Six of those videotapes, the other six steps, I managed to do face-to-face -face with her. And I do those with the other guys I sponsored. Just this past, this past three or four weeks, I've done two of them with guys. We sit down, and every step is the same format. Read everything in all of our literature about the step. Answer the questions, come on over, we'll do it. And I've had some amazing experiences doing that. Shoutful also offers other tools. She calls them tools of torture. The tool of torture that I received is a wooden slug for someone who got lazy in his recovery. After a while of doing it, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. So she gave me this slug, but not just to keep on my desk at home. She said, you will bring this with you everywhere, to work, to your meeting. When you speak, I would place it on the podium. This is my slug. And you know what? It worked for me. It may not work for you. People find it abusive. This isn't then for you. <laughs> it's okay. But it worked for me. Because I needed to crack through that arrogance. I needed to crack through that part that said, I know what to do. Because by me saying, I know what to do, I wanted to step in front of the class. And it didn't work for me. I won't ask anybody to do something I am not willing to do, haven't done, and I never have. I often say, I've done this, and I'm just asking you to do it too, because this is how I got to where I am. I used the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, not the most popular thing in Al-Anon, but I use it. I don't diss the Al-Anon literature. I use the Al-Anon literature widely. But for me, nothing is as powerful 
as the initial text. The big book. It's just that simple for me. It's popular in some places. I've been some places and talk about that. Everybody claps and stands up. I've been in other places and they kind of sit their hand and go, the way it is, it's me. It's my experience and it works well for me. Really, really well. I use tough love instead of cruel kindness. The next page. Um, it's amazing in Al-Anon how in, under the guise of being loving, we watch people die in front of us. Or do really stupid things just because we don't want to offend them. One thing I'm so, I love my sponsor for so much is she has never cared about offending me. She's offended me many times in front of many people, and it's always been something that's been right. Here's one example. One time I was at an assembly, a guy who was a trustee tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, I think you'd make a great delegate. Oh, really? Goes my head. Needed a neck brace to hold it up. I go home, and on Monday night I call my sponsor and said, Hey, how he said to me I, yeah, that he thinks I'd make a great delegate? And there was this pause. And my sponsor said to me, Rick, don't you think your area deserves a delegate that's practiced all 12 steps? <laughs> <laughs> she said, Rick, step 12 is 12 for a reason. You don't do service until you've done the first 11 and you're nowhere near. Thank you very much. I didn't stand for delegate. A service can be a slippery slope. Then step one, hey, I'd like to be chairman. Oh, really? <laughs> Give that a try. Just another way to get approval. If I'm filling myself up with service activity before I've done my personal recovery, when the service activity is over, I feel hollow. I've done that. If I'm doing service after I have been through my 12 steps, I'm doing it because I'm giving it back. And when the service position is finished, I'm relieved. <laughs> and I've had that experience many times. And I've, been, I've done a lot of service. And I ended, like I ended one just a few months ago. I said, and it was relief. Thank God. I'll do another one later. But it's not filling a hole anymore. It's something I do because that, that's part of the thing. I'm encouraging the pigeon to become familiar with the sponsorship family. This is what a sponsorship family is. This is my sponsor, and this is my sponsor's sponsor, and this is who I sponsor, and that's who they sponsor. It's not a clique. It's not an isolated kind of thing. It's just get to know the people that are doing this the same way. One of the greatest times I've ever had with my sponsor was the day I went over to visit hers. It was beautiful to see my sponsor be sponsored. And one of the things I love to hear her tell me is, I was talking to Lou Bell today. I love it. I have a picture in my front. Lou Bell is a beautiful black woman from the South. And I have a picture in my front room of me, my sponsor, and Lou Bell. And people come in and say, who's that? I say, that's my granny. <laughs> it's delightful because we pass it on. Isn't that one of our slogans? That's what we do. I do it one way. I should, Richard, I tell you. You tell somebody else. They tell somebody else. Cool. That is the way it's work. We just share our experience. That's what this is about. I don't share my thinking. I don't share my therapy. I don't share my philosophizing. I share my experience. And that's what my sponsor has done. So there's that one page of kind of what she's willing to do for me, and then there's like lots of pages of what I have to do. Right? And so that's what I require from the pigeon, person being sponsored. A commitment. And so I'm asking you, if I'm going to commit my time, I want you to commit yours. Say, I'm going to be there for you. You need to be there too. 
Because if not, then this isn't working for me, and I've got to let it go. And I have let people go, and I've had people let me go. It's all right. No balking at those assignments. Imagine if I had a balked at that tax assignment. I would have missed the reward. I would have missed it. If I had a balked at that thing about my mother and father, I'd still be caught. I'd always be in the middle. I extricated myself from the middle. It's good stuff. Do honest, clear assignments. Study the big book. I, do, I used to have a big book study in my front room for Al-Anon members. Great stuff. Thank you. Love them. Attendance at a minimum of three meetings a week. I, 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 I used to go to two, two uh, Al-Anon meetings a week, and I do this other thing. This is not a conference-approved deal, but it's, it's a thing that I do with another member, an AA member. It's called a mastermind meeting. It's kind of little, like a little prayer kind of thing. And, uh, and she's a marvelous. She's one of your uh, native sisters. Her name is Mildred Frank from Humboldt. And uh, just an absolutely marvelous member of Alcoholics Anonymous and one of my dearest friends. And so that's one of my, a meeting I do with her every Monday night we get together, Monday after work. And so that's one of my committed meetings. I also do all of my sponsor calls on Monday. And so it's kind of like another meeting night for me. Attend them all. Study and apply the books. Discontinuance of reading self-help books. Is that a deal in Saskatchewan? I don't know. But it sure was a deal in Toronto. I had more self-help books than I had Al-Anon literature. And I'm saying I'm a member of Al-Anon. Oh, really? I thought you were a member of some other kind of cult. Some other kind of therapy group. Because everything that came along, well, I'll buy that book, I'll buy that book, I'll watch this video. What a great idea. And my life still didn't work. I was getting all this information, but I was taking zero action. So she said, don't read any of those books. And that seems like a pretty harsh direction. But if somebody wants to learn another language, what do you tell them to do? You send them to Quebec to stay with a family that doesn't speak English. And you've got to learn to speak French. Because otherwise you'll die. You just have to learn how to do it. I needed to immerse myself in 12-step thinking. 12-step action. And so I immersed myself in Al-Anon literature and AA literature. It's a great thing. Have you ever seen an abstract painting? Think of one if you can. Chances are, 9 out of 10, that the artist could draw a fantastic real, real life, almost like a portrait. So they know the foundation of art, and they choose to deviate. They choose to go another way. Get the foundation in this, and then what I find when I start reading other spiritual literature, I start reading other approaches to recovery, it, all is, it, it either works for me or it doesn't, if it connects with 12-step recovery. If it doesn't, I don't want it. But there's a lot. We don't have the only way to do it. But our, our message is we do it through the 12 steps. And in my personal seeking for my own growth as I move on and on and on, I do enjoy reading other literature. But not in the little, first little while. First little while, immerse in it. And it's amazing what that will do. Do the assignments like I talked, regular contact. Regular contact is really important. Flip the page over there. Uh, long distance sponsorship. That's the kind of sponsorship I have. This is how long-distance sponsorship works. I have a dedicated call-in time. My call-in time used to be midnight on Monday night for many years. I was a real night owl, as was my sponsor. After about five or six years, I said, you know what, I'm getting a little older. And so we changed it. So it's 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central. And so 10 o'clock my time, 9 o'clock hers. And in 12 years and three months that I've been sponsored by my sponsor, 
There has never been a time that I have called her and she has not been there. Now, that's commitment. One time she was not able to make the Monday call, she let me know. And this is what had happened. My sponsor has one living relative, her sister. And her sister had a heart attack and almost died. And this is only about five months into our sponsorship relationship. And in the midst of the possibility of her only sister dying, she thought to remember that I have a commitment with a guy in Toronto. And at 11 o'clock, this is when I was calling at midnight, 11 o'clock central time, he's going to call me. And I want to let him know that I'm not going to be there. So in the midst of her sister almost dying, she called me from a payphone to say, Rick, I'm not going to be available to make the call tonight. If you need to chat, call Jennifer. And I understood at that moment what commitment is. I had never known that in my life. I understood it. I have missed one call in 12 years and three months. They told you I teach music, and around Christmas time one time, I took my students to play on a breakfast television show. So I was up at 4 a.m. So I could go get the kids, get the instruments, get down for the 7 o'clock call. And I was calling at midnight that time. And I was whack. I was so tired, and I fell asleep. She called me at about 5 after 12 my time, woke me up, and she, didn't, she wasn't angry. She said, I didn't say, how come you didn't call? She said, are you all right? She said, you have never missed and I had never been consistent with a thing in my life, ever. One of the reasons my wife left me was because she said, I never believed you would be there for me. She said, your mouth said you'd be there, but your actions spoke totally differently. And what she was telling me was that simply by signing up for a commitment, I was starting to become committed. I was starting to become dependable. My friend Mildred, when I was late for one of our meetings one time, she wasn't mad. She said, are you okay? You're never late. I was late all the time. My nickname when I was in university was the late Rick Chetook. Because I was late for everything. And I liked the attention. Come in 15 minutes late. Ha, 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 it's Rick. See, any kind of attention is attention, negative or positive. And I just got all the negative kind. Right? And I became dependable from that one commitment. I have a guy that you, some of you know, Greg Marshall. He used to live out here. lives now in Toronto. My longest time sponsee. Took a trip across Canada, down the United States, into Mexico, and back. Never once did he forget to call me or miss his time. He called me once from some kind of grain elevator out here in western Canada. And he, and he was chatting away and he said, hold on a second, a train is coming. He held up the phone and I heard a train go by. And I said, where the hell are you? He said, I'm somewhere out in the west and that was a train. I'm by the grain elevator on a payphone. Now, that's commitment. He called me from a payphone in Mexico at the right time, my time. I have another guy I sponsored who sadly died about a year and a half ago, 39 years old from brain cancer. He called me up to virtually the last few weeks of his life. He was calling me even when his brain cancer would no longer allow him to speak properly. He called to have a chat. To have a chat with his sponsor. He called to say, one night, Rick, I want you to do my eulogy. He said, it's inevitable, Rick. He said, I'm dying. And six weeks later, he was gone. And that's the kind of intimacy that is developed with the kind of sponsorship I have been blessed to be involved with. 
as a person sponsored and as someone just blessed to be allowed into the lives of other men. And that is what can happen here when we are willing to do this. This is not communism. This is love. This is taking one and this is rubbing up against one another like those diamonds in that barrel and saying, we can do this. We have a guide for how to do this together. Let's follow this guide. Because God is the guide behind all of this. Let's find that God, not by thinking, but by taking these actions. Doing things that you don't want to do. Let's do that. Be a member, not just an attender. You can barge into the meeting at five after eight and leave before the chairs are gone. It's important to become involved in all that stuff. And so these are all the things that I ask, and these are all the things that I do, attending conferences and workshops and on and on and on. Speaking a little bit. One of the deals for me about the speaking is that I had to pull it back, not do it. <laughs> so anyway, I'll talk more about that tonight. But just some thoughts there. If anybody has any questions, I'd really be happy to, to take any. Um, there's a few other things in here I'll just talk a little bit about, and then I'll kind of open it up. Honesty and open mind and willingness are a necessity. I need to just be honest with my sponsor. She's not in my front room when I'm talking to her. But it's incumbent upon me, if I'm going to get better, I have to be honest. There's no principle in this program that I've ever seen that says, just be half honest and you'll be all right. I've never seen one of those. Everything I see in this fellowship, everything I see in this program says, go all the way. Half measures avail us nothing and half measures don't avail us nothing. I have a guy, a sponsor, his name is Peter, and he talks about the microscopic truth. That's the level I need to go to. Not kind of the general truth. What's the microscopic truth, as I understand it? And verbalize it. Speak it. Say the words. And the recovery comes. It's astonishing. Kind of scary. But the recovery comes. No use of drugs. If drugs is an issue or if an alcohol is an issue, you need a program that I've got no experience with. And I had a guy that, that one day, um, we were away canoeing. I'd been sponsoring him in Al-Anon. We're coming out of the canoe trip in Algonquin Park. And he said, hey, Rick, I joined AA. He said, well, you need a new sponsor, man, because I can't help you with that one. Good luck. And we're still friends today. But I can't help, I can't sponsor anybody in AA with their alcoholism problem. I can sponsor people in AA with their family disease problem. So people who are alcoholic and have been married or are married to an alcoholic, I can help them. They have had family alcoholism, I can help them because I can share with them my experience about family alcoholism. Establishing a daily routine, this is something I did right from the get-go. I still do it to this very day. I wake up and I verbally say, good morning, God. I started doing this when I was with my third alcoholic. So I woke up in the morning after I started being sponsored, and I said, good morning, God. She rolled over and said, good morning. <laughs> she loved my sponsor in the beginning. <laughs> so I was talking to her. Not you! <laughs> Amazing. But there's a lot of power in that, to saying that, because God does need to be the beginning and the end. This is a spiritual journey, and it's the God that's going to help me recover. I take actions with other people in the fellowship, but it is the God that does the recovery. I pray on my knees. I still do that to this very day. Mirror talk. Now, this is an interesting deal for someone like me who loathed his image. She said, put a little sign up on your mirror with this little prayer. Good morning, God. You know, absolutely nothing can happen to you and I today. We're a team, is what I say. And she said, look at your eyes in the mirror and say that prayer to God. 
Justin sent me a lovely little sticker that was an answer to the question. The question being, what's the problem? The sticker said, you're looking at the problem. <laughs> Still have that sticker on my mirror today. Reading prayer and meditation. Don't just read the book and put it down and run out the door. Read it quietly. Read it out loud. And then meditate a bit on it. It's amazing what you hear when you do the daily reading out loud to yourself. If somebody's hearing you, too bad. And then uh, a running conversation with God during the day, and at the end of the day, just say goodnight. And it's a solid routine. It's something to do. You ever wondered that now and on? What do you do? How do you do step one? Well, I sit around. I'm powerless. I've done step one. It never worked for me. Do step two. Come to believe? Yeah, okay. Make a decision. Done. It just never worked. I needed something to do. And that's what I was given by doing it this way. Using the step study guide, if, if any, like I'm not promoting this. If you want one, I'll give one to you and you can copy it for people. But really, if you want to use the step study guide, get our piece that's called Paths to Recovery. You know, the kind of beige book. At the end of every section of the steps are a list of questions. Answer the questions. Sit down with your sponsor and, and talk about them. Read everything about step one in every book we have. Read the big book and discuss it and move on. And that's the way it works. I get a chance to talk to you more tonight. If you're sick of me now, I'd go home. It's okay. But I really, it's just a pleasure to be able to talk about sponsorship and what it has done for me to this point. And hopefully you'll be able to share a bit more of those experiences this evening. Maybe about five minutes if you have any questions, any comments, any challenges, any concerns, any criticisms, anything. I'd be happy to listen here, talk to them. Ian. I have no experience. I haven't outgrown mine. I had to leave, but I've never, I've never reached a point where the person I'm with isn't do, doing it for me. So I have no experience to offer. I've had that happen with a few of them. And I say to them, before I sign up to do this, what are you not doing with your sponsor now for it not to be working? And then if, it's, if after talking about that for a while, it really appears that they do need to move on, I say, before we enter into anything, you need to talk to them. So, yeah, it does happen. And I sponsor a couple of people that that has happened to. Because they just were looking for something different. And that's not bad. It's not dissing the other one. Kind of we can, maybe you can bring a person to this point, and then you need to move on. I've had guys move on from me. Great. It's okay. And I've had guys that needed to move on, so I helped them move on. <laughs> yeah. Richard. I do a four-step. My, uh, my sponsor gave me a four-step guide. It's 430 questions. I answered all the questions. Went down to visit my sponsor, read all the answers. The guys I sponsor, I do the exact same thing with. Here's the guide. Answer the questions. We book a day. A day is like 12 to 13 hours. And we do it. And we burn it at the end of the day. It's a pretty amazing four-step. I'll talk a lot about that tonight, actually. And that's here, too. If you want a copy. And again, I'm not promoting it. I don't want anybody to walk out of here saying he's up there promoting this. I'm not promoting anything. This is simply something that my sponsor put together to share with the people that she sponsors. And as someone who has done this, I'm simply saying to you that this is just a way that it can be done, and it is the way that I have done it. That's all I'm saying. Anybody? Yeah. yeah.
Perfect. Do it. Absolutely. Your four-column method, fantastic. Absolutely. Yep. Think about step four for me, anyhow, based on my experience, is that it's not so much the format you use, it's the intent of it. So if you use the blueprint, if you use this question guide, if you use the four-column method, what's really key is that I get inside and then say that to someone else. So whatever works, absolutely. Bravo. Why don't you do it? <laughs> That's the key, is take the action. Form over function. Anybody else? Richard. Check-in calls are once a week. Uh, my check-in call is Monday at 10 o'clock Toronto time. I have um, Peter calls me at 7. Fred calls me at 8. Patrick from Vancouver calls me at 9. I call my sponsor at 10. Greg calls me Tuesday at 7. And they're the times. And I'm available for those times. And that's a commitment. The people ask me to do things during those times, I say, I'm not available. Because I'm available for their call. And that's when they call in. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only time we talk. But it does mean that that's the time that I have freed up room in my schedule to talk to them. If something comes up other times, give me a call. Chances are I won't be home. But I will call you back. Now, if you're not calling me at a time, when I, when I say to you, I will make this time available for you, and you don't call me. And then you call me at a time that's appropriate for you. After we've agreed on a time. That bothers me. It's arrogant. Because I'm making the time you've agreed to it, but it's not convenient for you, so you just diss me. And call it a time when it works for you, and say, will you drop everything to talk to me? No, I will not. In fact, I don't even answer the phone. I don't. Hard line. But that's the way I do it. Now, if you're calling me at a time that I've committed and I'm there, you call me any, any time. Or you come over any time. If something happens, get over here. Because I'm with you, and I'm with you to the end. I am with you. Because I'm making that commitment to you, and you make that commitment to me, and as we follow through on that, we're in, baby. We're in. And that's where the intimacy comes. But it is a commitment. It does mean you have to change your life. Because if I lived a life totally around what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it with, who I wanted to do it with, and whatever way I wanted to do it. And what this is saying, I need to do something different. I need to take different action if I'm going to get different results. And I've taken different action. And the results are different. Amazingly so. It's a hard line. But it's the, it's the way that I've done it. That's all I'm saying. Oh, great. Yeah, exactly. That happens a lot. So, for example, I have no children. Like, I was married, but we never had any kids. And so I sponsor some guys that have kids. I teach high school, so I, have, I, I kind of understand kids from one level. And I can actually share with them about, this is what I see happening in kids. But I will often say to them, why don't you call this person, this person, or this person, because they have experience with that. I don't. And I think that's a great thing. And I learned that from my sponsor. I would talk to her about certain things, and she said, you know what? I don't have any experience with that. Why don't you call so-and-so? Because I know that they do. Because that's what we share, is our experience. That's, that, that, that's what makes this so powerful. That's what Bill shared with Bob. And here we are in Saskatoon. 
all those years later. They didn't share their thinking. They shared their experience. They talked man-to-man, honestly, about what was going on. And here we are. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Just by doing that simple thing. Be real. Oh, email, yeah. I, um, I email my sponsor, my, my, my sponsor every night I'm home. That's my nightly tenth step, is a gratitude list. And so I email her three things that I'm grateful for. This happened, started, started about a year and a half ago when a relationship I'd been in for a long time ended for a period of time. And uh, I, I called my sponsor and said, well, hey, she's gone. The next night my sponsor called and said, well, how are you doing? said, I'm having a hard time because we always used to talk at night. So my sponsor said, why don't you start emailing me a gratitude list? So in the midst of all of the pain of this relationship ending, I had to sit down and think of three things I was grateful for. And what that allowed me to do was focus in and see that, yes, even though this person was gone and I was ripped apart by it, there were still things that were there. Things had been taken away, but things were left. And what that started to do was give me this nightly thing of kind of just doing a tent step, reviewing my day, but reviewing my day in ways of things that I'm grateful for, and I send a little email and I send it off. And I'm very anal about keeping track of things, so I numbered them all. <laughs> so Thursdays, because you do it Friday because I was here, Thursdays was number 189 for 2006. The 2005 went up to like 300. Right? And so sometimes, you know, she, she's away on a weekend or I'm away or I'm visiting. But, yeah, so I, I do it about five times out of seven. And it's a beautiful thing. Sometimes she responds back. Sometimes she doesn't. But really, it's not even to her anymore. It's just kind of, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. And I want you to see me. I don't want to hide from you. I need to have another human being who can see me. Because God lives in us. She is not God. Neither am I. But God is in both of us. God is in all, that's my belief. God's in all of us. So let's show people that you trust who we are. So email is great, but I also have that phone. Like I need the voice and I need the presence. So I visit my sponsor three times a year. Yeah. That's how it works for me. Yeah. Anything else? We're a little over time. Uh, I really, I, I, I'm not quite sure how to read this, to be honest with you. It's kind of like either shock or you think I'm a goofball. But either way, I've really enjoyed having a chance to share with you what I do. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to spending the rest of the day with you. Thanks very much. Rick, I yeah. a statement down here. It said, today, a young rooster heard an eagle play a tune. It was the melody of the art of pigeon launching. Beautiful poet. Thank you very much, Ron. That's gorgeous. Thank you, everybody.